We are back. And you're back. You, the listener, our beloved listeners who love good, above-average sports talk and a little nostalgia and a little uh, pop culture. Kevin, what's shaking, my man? Nothing is shaking here. Uh, We are trying to figure out what the hell is going to happen next in Austin. There's definitely some trepidation about football and especially college football, but I think we're 59 days away as we do this on Wednesday, so I'm just hoping that that opener is there. Fans or no fans, we need football this fall, Paul. We do. We do. We need uh we need a little freedom. I was I was listening to George Michael's greatest hits and uh Of course you that, were. The powerful song Freedom, which I know is your personal favorite. Yes, it is. It, and actually my my favorite part of Freedom is financial freedom, my man. Oh yeah. That's why you're that's why you're a broadcasting legend, Kevin yeah. Dunn. You picked up on the subtle segues. Easy on the legend. David McClellan though is a legend. He's a swimming legend. He's got three national championships as a UT swimmer, but he's also a, a fantastic fiduciary financial advisor. And he works for Forum. He's part of our family. He can definitely help you out right now. But your your freedom number or your financial freedom number is really what you're looking for. He can do so many different things for you, too. Uh, he really, really focuses on building wealth, obviously, uh, but also making sure that you're investing the uh, the right way and making sure that it's safe. So there are some people, I mean, if you're 50 and, and self-employed, you can set up an individual 401k where you could maybe save $26,000 annually as an employee in a Roth 401k, plus up to 37000 as an employer in tax-deferred accounts. There are a lot of different ways to save money and to build wealth, and he knows what he's doing. Exactly. You know, Kevin, you and I both pride ourselves, uh, perhaps unreasonably, on having better financial acumen than the average Joe. Yeah, and we, uh, you know, we talk about the markets. <laughs> we talk about investing. And then when we talk to David, we both realize how little we know. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. No, I mean, you're exactly right. And I, I think it's, you can be interested in stuff and, and also take it a little, uh, you know, take it seriously. It can maybe even be a hobby. But then actually talking to a professional like David, it, it, it changes everything. He's also giving you a free consultation if you mentioned the podcast. So that's pretty cool alone to kind of give you a health assessment check on where you're at and where you need to go. Absolutely. You know, Kevin, how do they go about reaching Mr. McClellan? 312-933-8823. So it's Chicago area code because the guy's done so much stuff and uh, actually he's gone to some pretty damn good schools. 312-933-8823. He's been doing this for a long time, and he's been doing it from different angles too. So he's kind of worked in every spot of the market, but he's been a financial advisor and doing a really good job. So uh, if you want that financial freedom and you want to achieve it, get in touch with them. You can also email them, dmcclellan at forumfin.com. So, my man, I'm guessing that you you just feel like a different guy right now. I'm kind of little upset because I enjoyed doing the two podcasts knowing that you were working your ass off and not getting much sleep. But now, let me guess, you're probably at Pismo Beach, right? I am not at Pismo Beach, but uh, life is a beach now. And if you ever have undertaken a project like this sort of thing, and, and there's a lot that goes into being an independent publisher and to trying to put out a, a product that you take pride in and, frankly, I think is a cut above the typical preview that you can get out there. And uh, it's just a lot of a lot of long nights, a lot of uh, reading and writing and editing and watching film. And I mean, look, I, I don't know who else is out there watching films of, uh, you know, D- Dylan Galloway's past sets for Oklahoma State against uh, against Wyatt Hubert of Kansas State. But I was that guy. And, uh, you know, I think it shows up in the product. I hope it does. And uh, ultimately, I feel like I kind of gave birth. I mean, it's, <laughs> wow. it's a lot of pain. Uh, it's, there's a lot of uh, trepidation and, oh, I'm going to get through this. But then once the baby's out, it's beautiful. You're happy. You're proud. And uh, you just want to show it off to everybody. And that's kind of how I think about the 2020 Texas Longhorn Football Prospectus, Thinking Texas Football. That's the official name, but it's we colloquially call it uh, thinking Texas football or the preview and it's out for the eighth time. And frankly, I think it's the best of all of them. 
Good to hear. I only ask this because you're in San Francisco, and I'm a food nerd, so I saw Andrew Zimmern do this, albeit with a cow, but still. Uh, did you blend up the placenta, or did you eat the placenta? Yeah, that's a super groovy, progressive thing that people do out here, because the placenta is full of iron, Kevin. Did I know. you know that? And, and and you can't get iron through your regular diet. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, that's the that's the thing I love about that. So Zimmern goes to this real hippie ranch on his bizarre, uh, bizarre food show, and there's like this hippie farmer. I mean, he's not the guy that you and I would have run into. The farmers we met in little towns in Texas in the '80s as a kid. I don't know if your grandfather ever you had friends or took you out. I mean, Durwood would take me all over Central Texas, and he knew all these farmers, and you'd end up talking to him and. They were good guys, but, man, they were old Texas farmers. And this guy was everything that, that's not that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it was kind of funny how he treated the farm. And he said, yeah, man, a lot of times we'll eat the placenta, which actually the mother needs. And the reason that the placenta is eaten by animals is because they don't get the iron diet. They can't take the centrum pills that we do. And so Zimmern and this guy end up eating it and then drinking some of the fresh milk. I forgot what the name of that is. And uh, right after birth. And just they, they couldn't stop talking about how replenished and nourished they felt, man. Absolutely. Well, little known fact, and we're trying to get them as a sponsor. Kevin is a Geritol user. And <laughs> yes. you're helping to use it to stave off menopause, among other things, which I think is brave of you to publicly talk about. You've been very... <laughs> forward about your stance against menopause and your struggles with it and geritol has really uh really helped out your life hasn't it it has and and the, the reality is is that it, for it to come on so early that's where i really felt like i had to take a public stand because i knew there were other people out there dealing with it like me it's the real tragedy i think you know don't take this the wrong way but you being such a, a strong activist and and Guy allowing people to talk about cancer and particularly testicular cancer, things like that, which are extremely important. I think it's overshadowed some of your menopause work. And I think you need to take a step back. I think you need to reassess where you're putting your priorities, Kevin. I know. Uh, I think I need to. And I've thought about that. I just don't feel like I'm hitting that market enough. Hey, colostrum is what I was thinking of, which is the first form of milk produced by the the mammary glands of uh, mammals. So... If you ever get oh nice! If you ever get any of that stuff, jump on it, man. You know, you talked about these small town farmers in rural Texas and sort of small town farmers anywhere. But one of the things I really miss, and this is a little piece of nostalgia, but maybe surrounding nostalgia. But you get on those little two lane highways, yeah, leading out of Austin. You know, I used to when I was a farmer rep, my territory. I used to go out to Victoria, and I used to go out to. Oh, God, all these little small towns, Quero, you know, home, uh, you know, all these different places, home of the home of uh, Jordan Whittington. Right. Yeah. Hopefully we're going to see this year healthy. And uh, I would go on these little rural roads and I'd be driving in my uh, kick ass Toyota Corsica company <laughs> car. And uh, you'd see these guys coming towards you in their pickup truck. They got their Carhartt uh, baseball cap on and. They're, they're riding down the road, and they've got some heavy machinery in the back of their pickup, or maybe they've got you know uh, some, some workers sitting in it. And as they see you and you see them, they do that thing where they got their hand on the steering wheel, of course, one hand. And a couple and, fingers uh, come up. And they do the thing where they lift the finger. Yeah either, yeah. yeah, either a finger comes up or maybe two fingers. Oh, yeah. No, that was – and that, that's completely gone now. I give courtesy waves all over the place. And it's funny, you can. there's such an influx of not just California, but just people, I guess, that didn't grow up in cities that did that. And that's one of the biggest changes from Austin that we knew, really the best Austin, to the Austin now, which is still good, but it's just a different feel. People will look at you like, you know, you a-hole. A-hole? Well, you, let, you let me into traffic, and I gave you a wave. Yeah, that's exactly right. What are you talking about? Well, not about? only that. So relax, um, relax. You're going to be dead soon, okay? Well, you know, the thing where people let you in, you kind of do the, hey, thanks, bud. You right. know, you do the thanks, brother, or you do the like the point at him as you go by. Uh, or you're, you see a motorcyclist behind you and he's going in between cars. So you pull your car over a little 
The motorcyclist needs to give you the little, hey, bro, I saw that you did that for me. Thank you. If they don't do that, I'm very tempted to gun my car engine and, and strike the back of their motorcycle. Yeah, but if they're going 90, I don't want one hand coming off, so whatever. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Uh, if they're going 90 in between traffic, that's probably not a great move. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of comparable to horn honking culture, right? Because growing up, you didn't honk your horn at someone unless, like, there was something fairly egregious happening on. You know, right? If, if someone uh, delayed just slightly as the light turned green, you didn't hit your horn. No, if it's a, if it's a second or two second beat, you make. And I gave one the other day, and a guy gave me a way back, and I thought you're from Austin uh, because he realized yeah, I, exactly he, reali- right. he realized I wasn't being a dick. I was saying, hey man, it's two seconds, and we're sitting there at a light, which is turning left, and we got about three left, and I gave him a. Meh. Uh, you know, yeah, almost, you, you didn't do oh, that. No, no, no. It, it's and almost he looked back in his rearview mirror and he went, sorry, bro. Yeah. Right. Gave me a wave. And okay. we, we were all good. But it's almost like a fart that you don't want to be audible, but it squeaks out a little bit. And th- that's what that. Hey, it's green honk should be. Perfectly acceptable protocol. But I grew up where if someone really leaned on their horn. And you, there's really nothing you could do, like say the, the light is red, right, or whatever. Um, there's a very good chance you're getting out of your car and going, hey, bro, like, what's the problem here? Right. And, and that, you, you can't have that anymore because you'd be doing that every day. <laughs> it's, uh, I just, it's, it's such a fascinating change in the culture. Yeah, there's no more of the, the country highway, two lane. I'm coming towards you. You're coming towards me. Let's give each other a little two fingers up off the steering wheel. I, I used to love that. I used that like used to kind of energize me and I'd be like, ah, man, Texas. Love it. Right. Austin, the, man. Those same guys, right? If you're, if you're going fast and they know they've got, they're pulling something on a trailer, they'd pull way over, right. To let you buy, to yeah. let you pass. And you'd give them the courtesy wave, man. I, I, I don't know if that's happening quite as much. It's not. And, and I know social media wasn't around then. So there were a lot of hateful people on, uh, that were that existed then and i'm well aware of that but you see it on social media so much just the lack of caring about other people and and the hatefulness and really there's just a lot of lot of tension and i i understand some of it and it's some of it's just a culture war but you see it here in austin just not giving a shit about people around you and i really see it with stuff like parking if you park and you're all over the line you're a shitty human being. I have, <laughs> yes. I have broken up with, with a girl. I broke up with two girlfriends. One that she couldn't park, and she didn't give a shit about it, and she never used her blinker. And I realized that you don't give a shit about other people. That, that speaks to so much about you as a person that I don't want to continue with this. You know what might be worse? What? I'm dating a girl. This is right after college. She's hot. She's interesting. You know, I'm like, okay, awesome, score. I'm dating this girl. We go to the grocery store together. We're leaving. Load up our stuff. Oh. She leaves the cart oh, I'm in done. the parking spot. I'm done. And, and so I, I said to allow her to save face, oh, cart's right here. You want me to grab that? And she's like, oh, screw them. They pay a guy to, to grab these. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all right. They, well, they pay a guy minimum wage to grab them from the place they should be. It's not. I like how she didn't even understand that it's not about that guy. It's about other people around you, other customers, when they want to, I don't know, park. Same, same girl, Kevin, made fun of me because when I finished my lunch with her or dinner or whatever, I kind of pre-bust the table. Like I stacked up my plates. I put napkins on it i put my silverware on it i I like got my drink and i kind of put it to the side so it's easier for the bus boy or for the waiter to grab and she's like uh they pay people to do that and i was like oh all right well she just just learned some things about you yeah she just pays everyone to do everything doesn't she there you go and i was like i i was fast forward to we're married 15 years later and it's like uh like you know i just imagined myself immediately in divorce court yeah. And, oh, uh, yeah. you know, a $200,000 legal bill. 
So I was like, all right, we'll be moving on from this one. All based on a shopping cart and her mocking my pre-bussing the table. Uh, you and I are the same. And look, I, I got a lot of shit from friends because this chick was hot. And it was, you know, people were like, what the hell, dude? You know, you, you're Jerry Seinfeld. It's like that Seinfeld where he broke up with a girl because she either spooned her peas or I forgot. I mean, it, it was over the top. And, and really all those characters were like that. They'd break up over the stupidest stuff. And I understand on the surface, parking and, and using your signal doesn't sound, you know, sounds ridiculous, but if you really think about it, I mean, it tells you how you treat and think about other people that don't necessarily, aren't necessarily in your sphere. To me, that's just being a good human being. I'm never going to meet this person. We're living in a society. I hope to get treated the way I treat people. Correct. And you see it too in airport security lines, right? The people who wait until they're actually at the conveyor belt, the x-ray machine, and then they start adjusting their stuff. They start taking their shoes off. They start. Now I do global entry, right? So I don't have to do the shoe thing, but you see people rifling through their pockets, taking out pocket change. And you're like, Hey, you know, you were going to the airport. Like you should have attended to all this 10 minutes ago. I'm like, boom, boom, boom through. Yeah. Like that's my gift to you. I'm going to be as efficient as possible so we can get through this line as quickly as possible. But you always see the people that are like, oh, you can't take pocket. And then they hit the buzzer and they're like, oh, I can't bring this buck knife through. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, that's always, always that guy. Always that gal. How was your July 4th? What's going on in San Francisco? So my July 4th was actually finishing up the book. Uh, more important, let's bring this back to me. We just talked <laughs> yeah, about unselfishness. Let's, right. Let's bring this back to me, Kevin. Sorry about that. I got some books to sell. But, you know, so my July 4th, I ended up doing some stuff with my son. And then I had to focus entirely on the book, pull some all-nighters, uh, get it uploaded. Um, I would be very remiss if I didn't thank two people. Scott Gerlach, buddy of mine, uh, a great guy. He helped me tremendously with all the design elements of the book, all of the uh, basically the ability to make it compatible with all the different readers and all the different uh, sites that you have to load it to. And he is really also crucial in sort of the, the, the layouts and sort of the aesthetics of the book, which I think are great. It pops. And then the photography was provided by a guy named Will Gallagher. And if you are a fan of the visual arts, or if you just want to do commercial photography, or if you just want some awesome photos in your man cave of sports, Texas sports specifically, go to Gallagher Studios. Will is a really talented photographer, and he provided all of the photos for the book, and they freaking pop. They are awesome. There's about 20 photos in this preview. It's the most we've ever had, and they are phenomenal. And uh, they really tell the story. Uh, They break it up. They convey action. They convey tension. It's just he's a tremendous photographer. And uh, anyway, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank those two guys. They're they are awesome and uh, couldn't have done the book without them. But that was my July 4th, pulling all nighters, getting the book. The book actually published, I think, around midnight on July 4th. Okay. So that was my Independence Day. All right. Well, it's not a bad way to finish it up, I mean, especially uh, this year. If there was a July 4th where you couldn't be out at some beach or hanging out. Uh, it was going to be this one. So I'm glad you got some productive stuff done. I've got a lot of questions just about the logistics of how you do that. I, I realize that doing what I've done forever, and it's easy to get jaded and you just forget about it. And it's not so much jaded. It's just your, you know, it's just what you do. So maybe the novelty wears off. But when people come, used to come into the LHN studio or the play-by-play booth or the radio uh, studio, when people come in, you know, it, it's it's cool. It's neat for people because it's not something they've seen before and they've heard it before. And just seeing everything come together is uh, can be pretty cool. So I've got some questions about that. Before we do that, uh, how do people how do people get this? They can go get it at, and we can actually talk about this. It relates to some of the logistics because actually, Kevin, that's actually people are surprisingly interested in. Like, how do you even do this? How do you right. independently publish a book? And so we'll talk about that. I'm happy to talk about it. I'm pretty much an open book on it, uh, but. The best place to go get it, this has a paperback, hard copy version. It's on Amazon. It looks awesome. And it's meaty. It's lengthy. It's got, a, a, obviously, an in-depth a, a preview and analysis of everything Texas-related. But it also gets really deep into Big 12 opponents. Uh, 
the recruiting landscape. I have a huge evaluation of the 2020 recruiting class, also sort of where we've been with Herman, uh, how the talent level is starting to increase on the roster. And now it's about really developing that talent and teaching that talent. And so I have a big piece on that. And I think people have found that really informative and interesting. I've gotten really good comments on that about the primacy of teaching and defining yourself as a teacher, as a football coach, first and foremost, rather than, you know, some whiteboard wizard or just a recruiter or a figurehead. And uh, so, yeah, and I get into all that stuff. I get into NFL draft by conference, which has a lot of um, bearing on future conference affiliations for Texas, but also where you want to hitch your horse in the future. Uh, Also perceptions as it ties into recruiting of who's putting people into the league. Uh, But where you can go get it is Smashwords. Smashwords is an independent publisher. And basically they are agnostic to any format. You can download Smashwords, you can buy the book on Smashwords, and you can immediately put it on your Kindle, you can put it on your Nook, you can put it on your Apple iPad, you can read it directly on your PC. It reads beautifully, actually. It, it pops on a Mac or a PC if you prefer to read that way and have, you know, look at the big, full, immersive experience. Uh, and it's super easy to do. Uh, the value of that is that it's much more author-friendly. Authors get much more royalty from the e-version on Smashwords. If you like a hard copy paper print, and this is the second year that I'm offering that, uh, go to Amazon. Buy it there. They, through their genius, can do on-demand printing. And as this book gets more and more ordered, which it already is, is upticked significantly, they are able to do it quicker, more quick. You know, quicker and quicker and quicker, and then get it out to you quicker, especially if you're a Prime member, which you know a lot of people are. And so, if you could, if you want to do those two things, those are probably the best way to benefit me. And it doesn't certainly cost you anything as a reader. And I know the paperback, hard copy, people really demanded that, and they've been demanding that since the start. But unfortunately, back in 2013, when I started doing this, it just wasn't feasible, at least at a reasonable price point for the consumer. And so. I didn't want to sell some vanity $38 paperback, right? I I wanted it to be reasonable for the consumer. And as as on-demand printing and technology and logistics have improved, Amazon allows that. And so, you know, they take a big cut of that, but I don't mind paying Jeff Bezos a bunch of money to make that magic happen because it actually requires some investment on their end. Um, what, What does kind of grind my gears a little bit is Amazon hits you pretty hard as an author, uh, for the e version, and if anything, they should be offering you know larger economies of scale, and they should probably be more favorable. But they're the 800 pound gorilla, so it's hard to not put your book on Amazon. Yeah, I, I didn't. I never thought that someone could have to get taken in a divorce. So he he deserved it. I mean, from everything I read, but uh, to lose that much, and then he's still on pace to be a trillionaire. Yeah, it's it, he's unaffected. <laughs> I mean, that, that what he lost in that divorce is, is a rounding error yeah. uh, for that guy. But uh, yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, if, if you want, I can even tell you like how the royalty structures work and, and all that kind of stuff. It's yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah, I want to get into that a little bit. So you mentioned Amazon. In terms of the e-friendly, what places are e-friendly that actually give the author a good cut? Smashwords. Okay, so Smashwords yeah, the is the one. So, okay. Yeah, and I can even break it down for you. So if you sell a book, ebook, uh, let me make sure I make this delineation. The paperback, Amazon does a hell of a lot of work for that. And that's, it's frankly magic that they can allow an independent author to create an incredible looking preview with popping photos, awesome graphics, you know, perfect fidelity, and it gets out to the person in, in three days. That's, that's magic. You know, by all means, tell me what you want from my cut. I'll hap- I'm happy to pay it. Espe- especially because it's on demand. I would think that that's got to be somewhat new. I mean, anything, any business you have, you always, I mean, hell, you own a restaurant, you worry about how much you order, and did you over-order or under-order? Oh, exactly. And so that's what Amazon does, is they don't say, all right, we're going to run a 1,000 of these books, and they all pre-print it and hope they sell. What they say is, okay, based on your demand, our orders, we will create an algorithm which will then tell us how we should position the manufacturer of your book. So what always happens with the book is the first person that orders the paperback, you'll get a message from Amazon saying, this may take up to a week for you to get. Well, as more and more people order it, Amazon goes, oh, okay, this isn't just some bullshit uh, ego project from someone 
writing some rant and they want to say that they're an Amazon published author, this is a legitimate book. We're going to sell, you know, uh, a thousand of these or a couple of thousand of these. All right, let's rev it up. And so then suddenly as, as the consumer, you start to get it in 48 hours. So it's, it's ingenious and uh, they're awesome at what they do. Now, the e version is different. So if you've ever wondered why so many books that are Kindle books or e versions on Amazon are priced at $9.99, Mm-hmm. The reason for that is up to that price point, the author gets 70% of the royalties. After $9.99, the author gets 35%. So if, you charge, if I charge 10 bucks for this book, I would get 35 cents on the dollar. If I charge $9.99, I get 70 cents on the dollar. The problem is I don't get the full 70 cents on the dollar because – Amazon charges you per, per megabit of data. And so I think they charge like 15 cents. And so if you have a big preview book with a bunch of cool photos and cool graphs and all sorts of stuff like that, um, you're going to run up some megs, right? And also the preview is 53,000 words. I mean, it's, it's as long as The Great Gatsby. So uh, it's, it's meaty. It's not, this isn't Lindy's, right, with a, you know, a half paragraph on each team. So some some stock gets subtracted some stock photo of a cheerleader and you can tell with the hair yeah it was ninety three exactly <laughs> exactly right so and and they hire some like you know beat writer and they pay them three hundred bucks to write just the most obvious like bullshit problem right and half the players that they're writing about have you know already transferred right. or you know or or injured or not going to play or whatever so. Anyway, so what Amazon does is they take that 70% and then they start to subtract out the costs of the MIGs, uh, megabytes. Then they subtract out a delivery fee, which is nonsense. I mean, Amazon, it's, it doesn't cost anything to deliver. And so you end up at like 62 cents on the dollar. With Smashwords, if I priced it at 9.99, I get 85 cents on the dollar. Okay. So every... Every single book, there's basically over a $2 difference in what the author pockets. And ironically, the Smashwords format reads better on a Kindle than Amazon. Hmm. Yeah. Why is and that? It takes like 15 seconds. Um, is there any reason for that? It's just Smashwords is, was specifically designed and geared because they know their entire business is predicated on E. And so they maximize the technology there. And Amazon, I mean, yeah, obviously Amazon looks fine on your Kindle um, if you buy straight from Amazon. But Smashwords went and optimized for for every you know reader for iPad for all that. And so you know it's kind of like because they have to live and survive and thrive in a, a purely e environment, they maximize the reading experience because they know readers don't want to sacrifice a reading experience just to support an indie publisher or support the author more. You actually have to provide a service. And so they were smart, and that's why they're, they're thriving and surviving, and that's why I found out about them and threw my lot in with them. Um, but, yeah, it's, that's what's cool about them is the compatibility across all platforms, and it takes like 15 to 30 seconds to basically convert it. And, uh, yeah, I've gotten really good feedback from people. There's, a, there's this 93-year-old guy, a uh, really cool, interesting guy. He used to be a dentist, and he's a big Horns fan, and he writes me every year or comments in the post every year bragging about how easy is it is on Smashwords to convert. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I figure if a guy who was born in, you know, 19, around 1925 can do it, then uh, I think everyone else can do it. 1925, damn, man, that's pretty impressive. Uh, in terms uh, – how do you even do this? I mean, who do you reach out to? So if there's someone – because you mentioned earlier someone could just do it and not be an author. I mean, do you have to have – your type of reputation to actually even get the call in? Yeah, I think my reputation may hurt. Uh, <laughs> but what, what, what do you mean exactly? You mean just can anyone publish on Amazon? Yeah, I mean, who, I mean, who, who do you reach out to at, at Amazon? Is that just what you just make a phone call and say, hey, I, I want to do this, and they're probably happy to hear it because they're going to get some money? No, Amazon is a mega juggernaut. They are not interested in talking to you. You literally go in. And you just publish the book. You, you create a file. And Scott is the guy who does that for me. I give him the raw manuscript. I give him all the graphs. I give him what, you know, what I want it to look like. And then he goes in and does amazing work and makes it look all beautiful. And then he submits it. 
And then Amazon runs different checks. They run quality checks. They want to check, you know, did this person write coherent sentences? Did they spell things correctly? Do they have any, is it pornographic? Is it, you know, whatever, right? Is it, is it a horrible racist screed? They run it through all these different uh, redundant confirmation checks. And if it checks out, you're published on Amazon. Hmm. So Amazon, there are thousands of books on Amazon published that do not have a single buyer. And so it just languishes there and it costs Amazon nothing, right? It just sits there and because it it's just space. It's just, it's just web space. It's, it doesn't cost them anything on their servers. So they don't care, but they know a certain percentage of those indie authors have a readership. And so I had an existing readership and the minute I put my book, it starts to load, it starts to update. And so if you go on Amazon right now, it's, I think it's the number one book in football coaching. It's like the number three book in, in football altogether in Good. that category. Wow, that's awesome. Man. And so, yeah, it is. Um, now, it has the life of a mayfly. Once October rolls around, those sales are – I'm going to be behind like Bigfoot erotica. Um, but Maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's how it works. Maybe because we talked about it on the phone. You could be a shock of smart. COVID could actually really save you. Now, you don't need to be saved like Shaka did. I'm not sure Shaka would have had his job. We would have seen how everything played out. But I I don't think that much is going to change. And so even if there is a delay, so let's even go as far as spring football, that would just give you more time to sell the book. And one of the great things that you can do, unlike Lindy, is you can go in there and change stuff. You are already doing it much later than Steel and a lot of these that you, you went to went to the printing press, so to speak, very late. Am I wrong about that? That I mean, it's not going to. No, that's correct. It's not going to change that much. So as the book published, I found out that Oklahoma State's starting left tackle retired due to injuries. So I I uh, told Scott he updated the manuscript and it got accepted, and all the new publications that or bought after that update will reflect that. So yeah. yeah, that's a very good point. I have the ability to up upgrade and update things. We had like a simple transcription error where something had gotten misaligned on a column and it showed in one little column that uh, Sam Ellinger was a red shirt sophomore. And so someone brought it to our attention right away. It, it escaped our eyes when we were doing our final edit and we immediately switched it. And so everything after that within hours was updated to, to correct uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of the preview. The other thing about the preview is it's, it's really not just a preview. It's a state of the program. And if you read it, that's really the thrust of it and how it was written. And why do we have seven new coaches? Why, do we, why does Tom Herman have seven new faces? You know, why did fear do the work of reason? And he finally made the changes in year three that he should have considered in year one when he got the big job uh, from the University of Houston up to Texas, you know, and, and so that's what a lot of the book is about is trying to delve deeper. You know, anyone can go read the ma- the media guide and tell you the heights and weights and tell you how many sacks Joseph Osai got last year. What's more relevant and more important is the state of the program, how Osai has been misused in the past, how he's going to be used properly, what that's going to look like, and then what the impact of that is going to be for the defense. And that's where I think this book is, you know, a cut above and, and frankly, better than all the other previews. Um, it just it just is. And it's not I don't feel like I'm bragging when I say that. It's just sort of objectively true. I mean, because I just don't think the average preview is very good. Wow, man. Taking shots here. I mean, this is like uh, I feel like I'm in a hip hop video right now. Call, calling out Athlon. Call them, well, you can call out Athlon and Lindy's. Well, I'll say this. I agree with you, and you put a lot of work in. It shows, but it's also just your your brain. And, and like you said, I mean, anyone can even put numbers together, but the fact that uh, you got, you actually really are giving a an explanation kind of for where Tom Herman is after three years and the reason there are seven new coaches. I don't want to give away too much, but – um, the state of the Texas program right now. Are, are you hard on Tom Herman on this thing? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I, I think deservedly. And I don't think unfairly. I don't take pot shots. Uh, I don't, I'm not unfair. But there's a reason there's seven new coaches. I mean, it's, you know, so I, I sort of write that in my introduction um, about, you know, Herman may object 
to the characterization, but there's really no argument. All I have to do is nod to seven new faces in his room. You know, what's that about? If you're doing such a great job, why did you turn over 70% of your staff? Right. Because you're killing it? Okay, well, let's move on. And so, you know, the other part of the book that I try to bring into, and I mentioned this before, is that the primacy and importance of teaching and football coaches defining themselves that way. And you'll find a very interesting quote from DKR about just that. And he basically says, I'm just a coach. I'm just a, a coach is just a teacher. And my classroom is outside. And every year I get a new group of students. And for me to assume their level of knowledge is wrong. And just because I wear shorts and have a whistle and get paid pretty well and, you know, uh, and have this glamorous sort of perception, I'm just a teacher. I'm just teaching people and, and my classroom's outside. And so I get into a little bit about DKR and John Wooden, who he shared many traits with and many attributes. And Wooden's pyramid of success and the level to which he began his teaching every year. I'm not going to spoil it for people, but uh, it's, it's a great story. It's a great anecdote. I verified it and when I first encountered it, and I verified it, and I actually found Bill Walton talking about it in a YouTube video. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's very enlightening. It's outstanding. John Wooden, out, is he the greatest human being who's ever lived, Kevin Dunn? Maybe. Uh, no, I, I actually, I'm curious. I'm curious to read it. I haven't, I haven't been sent the, uh, I haven't been sent a freebie yet from you. So I'm waiting for that. Yeah. You know, I, I have sent out some freebies. i frankly have been trying to just get it promoted, get it loaded up everywhere properly. Uh, I get, you get a, a refusal from Apple that they won't publish it on iBooks because they didn't like the margins on the cover. And then suddenly you have to go through the whole freaking review process again. So uh. yes. I will send you one, Kevin, because uh, I know nine ninety nine is a significant dent in the old budget. <laughs> I know, and, uh, especially as a good buddy. Like I, I, I shouldn't even ask for that. I tell you what, I'll go buy it. Don't do that. I, I've got, no, 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 no. It's I've, okay, man. I've got ten uh, bucks lying I, around. I, I will be okay. I'm gonna send you something, but I'm, I'm gonna send you the paper. I'll send you the paper copy, Beautiful. and uh, that way you can have it sitting on your coffee yep. table and. You can thump it, and you can throw it at the TV when it's third and 19, and we zero blitz and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, some people are, are just different like that. I mean, I, I read a ton of stuff online every day for my job, and uh, even when I'm not. I mean, I'm, I, I've got no problem reading stuff online. There is something nice, and a lot of it is when you're on the toilet, just to be able to have one there. But like you said, when you're watching the game, maybe you highlighted stuff, and all of a sudden – you're getting maybe to November and you forgot exactly what Paul's preview was of the other team. Cause you do a pretty extensive big 12 preview. Um, you know, do you think that looking at it right now, Oklahoma and Oklahoma state are the teams for Texas to beat? Yeah, I think so. Um, that is how I have it slated. That's how that's my big 12 conference predictions. The, the beauty of the preview is I show my work and I show what I'm using to inform my opinion and so what that allows the reader to do is make their own opinion. Right. Um, I, I don't slant things to be like, see, and this is why it's going to be what I say. Told you. I try to give – to me, it's a conversation. I'm having a conversation with the reader and saying, here, here are my assumptions. Here's my data set. Here's what I'm building my ideas off of. But I'm going to share them with you, and I'm going to explain why I think it's important that we use this as a construct. But I want you to take what you want from that data – or add your own, or supplement it, or negate one of the data sets that I bring in and say, yeah, I don't think that's relevant. Uh, and, and then you can have a structure to make your own predictions. And to me, that's the, better, that's the best example of a preview. It's not just me lecturing you about why, why my opinion's right. It's saying, hey, let's look objectively at all these data sets, and let's together try to come to some you know, conclusions of what this is going to look like. But yeah, you mentioned the bathroom, Kevin. I was, I was laughing. I'm under no illusion that this is not a shitter read. Uh, believe me, I don't. Hey, that, I don't hey, 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 that's a compliment, too. Oh, totally. No, no, there, there's a reason this is not being sent out in a leather-bound book that smells of chaps by Ralph Lauren, right? <laughs> so uh, that was my first cologne I ever bought, by the way, back in seventh grade. I think that was the first one I had. To, I'm almost positive it was. Wasn't there a cool bottle, too? Oh, yeah. And it had uh, like uh, it was evocative of the Old West. Yeah. Basically, when you slapped it on, 
you smelled like an Italian gigolo who'd fallen asleep on a hay bale. Right. No, it smelled like really cheap uh, post-shaving cream, like a shaving oil, you know? Other uh, money move I used to make in high school when I was poor, I'd do the move where I'd go into Eckerd's, back when those existed. Eckerd's. And I would go, I would go to the magazine section and find me a Maxim or find me a Men's Health. Oh, hell and yeah. And I'd pop open the cologne ad and rub it on myself. <laughs> Dude, I, I would do that in college. I would I would end up, you know, <laughs> you know, like if I knew I was going to the mall or someplace like that, there was no way I was using my own cologne because I would just go through the store, grab one, you know. And, of course, at that age, you just douse yourself. So you're good for the next couple of days. The shower won't even take that out the next morning. Yeah, hey, you know, we could still say just like was, you know, as as a uh, an Irishman, I'm half Irish. Uh, we could still say paddy wagon, right? We don't get in trouble for that. You know, the thing that police oh, take yeah. unruly oh, yeah, drunk yeah, away yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, no, they, the, but the Irish are, are some of the few, and if you do your but, history, but Italians, the Italians, yeah, we could still say when you put on too much cologne, that's an Italian shower, right? It is, but that's also an Irish shower. An Irish shower is cologne, deodorant, and no shower. Uh, and oh, interesting. And, and, so I but, think people see, do segment that out for whatever nationality. And so I grew yeah, up. A, I grew up in an Irish household, so maybe that's why. And all the jokes, you know. I mean, you know, if there was any derogatory stuff towards an ethnicity in my house, it was always towards the Irish. So there's not much people could say. Yeah, that's that's good. In, that's good coverage. Yeah, and in, in a joking well, way too. It's not like we hated ourselves. Well, you, I I know you, Kevin. We can well, talk about that later. Well, I don't know that's the Catholicism that. part. So separate that. <laughs> that's the, that's the that's the Catholicism. That's exactly right. It brings in a, a large amount of guilt and self-loathing that you are responsible for, for Christ being crucified on the cross somehow. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, it's funny, Kevin. Um, the uh, the Italian shower thing, I think people substitute whatever ethnicity they want to mock, right? Yeah. Well, it's like that in Europe. So there's like a common joke, and I've heard it here, but if in Denmark, they have a joke, which is, what's the difference between a Swede and a bucket of shit? Oh, great. What is it? The bucket. <laughs> okay, of course. <laughs> but of course. If, you go to, if you go to Croatia, they tell that joke about uh you know slovenians right it's the same exact joke they just substitute out the ethnicities so i i like when racism is universal that way i feel like it's it's better well it's all about being you know equal so that's right i I will give my irish brethren some credit you can read some history if you've never done that i know you have but uh the irish were uh pretty discriminated against when they came over there's all levels to that irish need not apply kevin yes and uh so i'm obviously not talking about african Americans with slavery or even Chinese immigration or Japanese internment camps, but uh, there are levels to everything, and they were. So I'm pretty proud of the fact that uh, they just kind of let stuff go. It's very much our nature on that stuff. Didn't you have uh, a relative who who owned an Irish need not apply sign that was actually in a Chicago storefront yeah. in like the late 1800s? It was uh, actually my grandfather who got it. And he had come over from Ireland and was was in his teens and then was looking for a job. It's on the south side of Chicago. And there was a sign that said, mix and ends, no need apply. And so you hear black Irish at t- from time to time. And just stop the email. I'm nowhere, it's nowhere near the discrimination uh, that the African-American community uh, went through and, and still goes through uh, to some degree that, so I'm not comparing it, but I always thought that was interesting growing up. I thought, oh, my God, I, I had no idea. I, I I figured they just came over and everything was all gravy. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's funny. I mean, even in the 1960s, there was a legitimate thing of John F. Kennedy being the first Catholic president. Right. Because it was this undercurrent of, I think the Pope's really going to be in charge, right? Right. And he's a papist. And uh, I mean, it's kind of funny, right? It was Talk about what a different time that was. It, John F. Kennedy was also heavily criticized for when he did his uh, acceptance or his swearing in as president, he did not wear a hat. Oh, God. And that was considered very informal and sort of gauche and like, oh, he's not wearing a hat. I guess this moment doesn't mean much to him. 
How funny is that? Because now if I go for a random business meeting and maybe I was working out and you get a quick shower in and you're like, you know, I'm just going to throw a hat on. Or maybe you're just wearing a hat that day and you end up showing up to the meeting. I'm always worried. I'm like, oh, do I look, you know, too unprofessional? I would never go to a serious meeting that way, but maybe even a casual lunch or something like that. It's funny how that's turned. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, you're wearing a, a baseball cap. But secondly, well, all right, fair enough. Did, it's not a top hat. I, I, I got you. But if you did throw on a fedora, I hope either I'm around or one of your friends is around so that you can face some consequences for that. Yeah, no, and, and I should. Trust me, there's enough fedoras in Austin. I'm going to let that let that trend <laughs> play out on its own. <laughs> hey, you know, we were talking a little bit about old Jeffy Bezos and his business plan and the genius of Amazon and uh, royalties and authors. You know where we can always get a good deal for our listeners? Uh, it's not nine ninety nine. It's actually free. That'd be Gabe. Oh, it's better than free. Old Gabe Winslow, he is. He and his team are mortgage brokers without peer. You give them a call. You mention this podcast. You mention the the words Irish need not apply. Then uh, <laughs> Gabe is going to give you five hundred dollars off your closing. He's also going to beat any good faith estimate that you have that's recent, and he's going to beat it easily. Uh, do yourself a favor. Give Gabe a call at 832-557-1095. We are in the best mortgage environment in the history of this great republic, and uh, you would be remiss if you did not be, get the most competitive, most uh, amazing bid possible and take some money off the bottom line. If you can get $500 off of your closing, uh, that's the cost of your home inspection. I mean, that's X right off your bottom line. Uh, you're, just, you're $500 in the black. And if you can get a bid that's going to beat what you're currently getting, that's win-win. You're supporting the podcast. You're supporting yourself. That's what it's all about. It kind of ties in with the old book, right? Grow your knowledge of the old Longhorns. Help a brother out. And uh, we create a little virtuous circle. You can do that with Gabe and his mortgage team. 832-557-1095. Beautiful. Definitely give Gabe a call. He's helped out so many of our listeners. That's been a very copacetic relationship, and it's not going to cost you anything. So give Gabe a shout-out. You know, it's, it makes me think I do want to kind of go back and look at some of your past previews. I've read most of them, but uh, I'll give myself a little bit of credit. I was early on the Patrick Mahomes bandwagon, and there are actually more people because I would talk to people, and, and especially in the Big 12, and they'd say, yeah, man, I, you know, they won 66-59, and Tech is a 7-5 and team, but this guy's out of control. He had to clean some stuff up. He had the label of gunslinger, but I'd love to go back. 2015, 2014, you would have been a freshman, but 2015, 2016, what was Paul writing about with Patrick Mahomes? You know, that's a great question. I think I remember talking about um, basically an amazing talent level. Obviously, he was a strength to the Texas Tech program, uh, but he was erratic, right? Yeah. And he would make some risky, high-risk sorts of decisions, and he didn't always take care of himself. You know, famously, Quandre Diggs knocked him out and caused a fumble in a game uh, where Patrick Mahomes took off running and was a little bit careless. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how I had him characterized. I wish I could tell you that I knew he'd be the greatest generational quarterback of his time. <laughs> I mean, I know you and I both thought he was really good. Right. And we also thought, well, I also kind of get into this in thinking Texas football. I make the argument, and I don't think – I find it frustrating for people who don't agree, but I'm happy to hear other people's perspective. But I think Sam Ellinger is a top five all-time Texas Longhorn quarterback. Yeah, and he is. I think, who, who I, I think Patrick Mahomes is a reinforcement. I'm sorry. Continue, man. No, go ahead, buddy. Sorry, we got a slight delay. Yeah, no, we do here. Um, in fact, give me one second here. I'm gonna pot you down just a tad. You kind of okay. Um, no, I, I think I'm just curious who people have uh, ahead of that. We can get to that, but talk about your Sam and Patrick Mahomes theory. Well, the the theory on Mahomes was, yeah, we see all these skills, and he can throw a rocket, and he's mobile, and he's accurate, but he's not a winner. Look at Tech's record. If he's so great, how come Tech didn't win the Big 12? How come Tech didn't at least go, you know, 10 and 2? I mean, you had legitimate NFL GMs and scouts writing these sorts of things as if Patrick Mahomes was responsible for the Tech defense, right? right? And I, I kind of feel like that with Sam Ellinger, where people are like, well, yeah, I mean, he's, 
I know he's the second all-time leading passer in Texas history. I know he's number two all-time in total yardage. And I know he's uh, second all-time in total touchdowns. And he could pass Colt McCoy this year. And I know all this and all that. But, you know, look at the win-loss record. Best year he's ever had. Texas, you know, went 10-4. and And it's like, hey, man, Sam – he had over 400 yards passing against LSU, ran for 60 yards, had five touchdowns. It's his fault he didn't put himself in at safety on third and 17 with two minutes and 38 seconds left in the game. Like, what are we doing here? And you have to kind of make that parallel and realize that Sam's not perfect, and certainly neither was a college Patrick Mahomes. And I'm not comparing their ability levels. But so, so you think, you think Sam's going to be an NFL starter and get the highest contract ever then right Paul exactly that's what I'm predicting uh that (laughs) invalidates my whole preview make sure you guys don't buy it but but what I do think is people who use this one loss thing for quarterbacks and they act like the, the quarterback is the sole arbiter of whether your football team wins hey man quarterback is the most important position on the football field by far but they can't do it without the proper supporting cast both between the sidelines and on the sidelines Right. And I think Sam got an upgrade on both. And I think that's going to show in his senior season. I do, too. The, the thing that I am worried about, this is probably going to be his weakest receiving core that he's had for a little while. I mean, you think Devin Duvernay was the third guy two years ago. He's had pretty good receivers. I just hope that that, that crew steps up and there are some guys that can play. Here's a fun fact from the preview. Of all of the Texas Longhorn returning leading receivers, Sam Ellinger has the third highest number of career receptions. That's nuts. I, that is a good little fun fact. Number 11 has caught nine balls in his career at Texas for 115 yards. And only Jake Smith and Brennan Eagles have more catches. Now, Tariq Black is a transfer, right. and he does have more catches. I think he has 50 catches in his career. Uh, but he's not a returning Texas receiver, right? He's a he's a new guy from the the port from the graduate transfer portal. But yeah, I mean he's got an inexperienced receiving core. It's a talented receiving core, and as as we've talked about, and that's certainly what I offer in the preview. If some of these guys can grow up, if some of these guys are healthy, like Jordan Whittington and Tariq Black, I think Sam will elevate those guys, and I think the offense will be elevated because. Generally, if you've got the O-line, if you've got the quarterback, if you've got running back talent, if you've got a good offensive coordinator, as Yursich appears to be, I think wide receivers sort of step up. And there's a long history of Texas wide receivers doing that uh, when it, you know, they kind of came out of the blue. And we could talk about Devin Duvernay, right? I understand Devin was solid in his junior year. That senior year was bonkers. Right. That, that came out of nowhere. Uh, we've got John Harris running third team on the scout team. In springs of his senior year, he catches over 1,000 yards for Charlie Strong. Uh, we've got Wayne McGarity, mm-hmm. who blown out his knee. He was a converted running back. Uh, he was on that great 1998 team with Ricky Williams. He was one of the preeminent deep threats in Texas history. He had never had more than 315 yards receiving in his Longhorn career. He had 1,087 receiving yards at almost 19 yards a catch for Major Applewhite in 1998. Uh, and then you've got Nate Jones. Nate Jones had never caught more than 15 balls in his Texas career. His senior season, he catches 70 balls, and he's Colt McCoy's number one target. So we have had a long history of guys stepping up, and I don't think there's any reason to to believe that that can't happen again. No, and I think Derek Duke in 91 with Kenny Neal would have to be put up there as well. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. No, your your examples are good ones, and hopefully that'll be the case for Texas. Hey, before we wrap, do you remember Derek Duke and Kenny Neal? Of course. You've, right. you've made references to them before, and it made me laugh so hard. <laughs> hey, before we wrap wasn't one of them, uh Wasn't one of them the flex end? Yeah. In Lynn Amity's offense. That you remember that? I think that would have been Duke. Oh, his bullshit offense. <laughs> oh, God. I hated that offense, man. You, God, it was terrific to watch. You would de- delay that draw, and he would, you know, have good guard air would have the ball out for so long just for one play action that we weren't going to hit. 20 plays later. It, it was frustrating. Hey, back to Patrick Holmes real quick. Yeah. If you're an NFL GM, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs GM, and you just paid him all that money, and by the way, deservedly, that still comes at a cost. 
what are you going to prioritize in your football team? Because you can't pay everybody now, right? Right. What are you going to prioritize to complement Patrick Mahomes and, and try to create a, you know, a, a team that's going to be in the playoffs and, and a, a factor in the Super Bowl for the next 10 years? I think you have to prioritize. Obviously, you got Mahomes. You can't do what the Cowboys are, are going to do because all those contracts aren't on the board yet. And obviously, they have not re-signed Dak. But Zeke still has two years, I think, until his till his uh, extension really kicks in. Cowboys are going to be in some trouble once they're looking at all three of those. They have some outs with Zeke and then also Amari Cooper. But I, I think what the Chiefs are definitely going to do is what you saw this year. When Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, whenever he, he is done with his first contract, he's gone. He's gone. And yes. probably a year before, they're going to take another Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the second round or the 32nd pick like they did. They're not going to spend any money on running backs, maybe one on a receiver, maybe one on a tackle, and then try and go defense. That's it. Yeah, you, we're, we're on the same wavelength. I think they pay Mitchell Schwartz. That's the tackle they pay. I think they pay Travis Kelsey. Kelsey I would pay Kelsey's Travis a good Kelsey call, yeah. Hill. Yep. I mean, and especially and then, the, the, the Mecole Hardmans of the world. Look, receivers, guys like that, I mean, I know he's got crazy speed, but, yeah, I mean, you, you take that one contract and go get another one. You sure as hell aren't going to pay a Sammy Watkins again, are you? No, 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 no. Uh, maybe a Tyree kill outside of the baggage off the field, but if you got someone that good, maybe one receiver, but – you got to be careful with that. I'm dead set they're not going to pay a running back a lot of money. No, and nor should they. I think they got to treat those wide receivers as commodities. I'd pay Kelsey. I'd pay Schwartz. I'd, I'd pay above average NFL offensive linemen. I want to keep Patrick Mahomes upright. Uh, and then on defense, you probably have to make a choice. And you, I probably would emphasize the hope is that you're playing with the lead a lot. So I would pay the secondary. And I'd try to get some pass rushers if I can afford it. But, uh, yeah, I think the great news for Patrick Mahomes is not great news for, you know, Chris Jones, the defensive tackle for the Chiefs, who, who showed out in the Super Bowl and, and so many other times last season. I don't think he's going to get paid what he thinks. Or if he does, I think it's going to be a shorter contract. Uh, so yep. I think it's fascinating to sort of weigh how do you want to prioritize once you pay that quarterback. And the Seahawks have been doing that with Russell Wilson and, and frankly, pretty masterfully. And I'm curious if the Chiefs can pull off the same thing. Yeah, but even the Seahawks got to a point where he didn't have enough weapons and they weren't a big enough threat. They were still winning and still maybe getting right there to the playoffs, but uh, they realized they had to go get the DK Metcalfs of the world to try and try and give him some help. But, yeah, I think that w will, for the most part, kind of be the path that they're trying to follow in the recipe. All right, man, next week we're going to start off with our top five Texas quarterbacks. Here's a little tease for uh, next week. So I want you to be thinking about that. I want you to come, and I don't want you to give a chat answer. You can't give a, a guy who just played on a team in 39. Uh, oh, God. So what Kevin's referring to is uh, Chad was going solo without Kevin, and so I called in to help a brother out. I like Chad. He's a great guy. He is. And my assignment was to name the top five greatest Texas A&M quarterbacks. And the idea is that I'd be objective because I'm a Texas fan. And so – I did it. I took the, the assignment seriously. I gave him the top five Texas A&M quarterbacks. He was going to give his own. And one of his answers was, uh, whoever the guy was that won the national title in 1939. Chad's an Aggie, by the way. And it, Chad's an Aggie. <laughs> and I had to tell Chad who that individual was <laughs> and then also tell him that that guy threw for about 280 yards with 19 interceptions and ran for 140 yards because <laughs> quarterback was a little different back in that day. And uh, I'm sitting here trying to convince him that Ryan Tannehill was a better player than those guys. But Chad was like, nah, you know, Tannehill, you know, he went seven and six. I don't know how good he was. And it's like, all right, Chad. I see you without Kevin Dunn. You're being exposed right now, <laughs> sir. Oh, so God. poor Chad got teased unmercifully by a bunch of Aggie fans and Texas fans, and uh, he's still angry at he's still slightly angry at me about it to this day. <laughs> so poor Chad. All right, y'all, go get in touch with David McClellan, D McClellan at forumfinfin.com. Get in touch with Gabe Winslow, and also go buy Paul's. Texas preview. Once again, give the title and where they can get it. Yeah, it is the 2020 Longhorn Football Prospectus Thinking Texas Football. 
It is at every place you can go buy an ebook. Uh, you can buy the paperback on Amazon. You're going to get it very quickly. And if you do have a, uh, no real preference as to where you buy it, go buy it at Smashwords. It's compatible with every single reader, and uh, the author gets a much better cut. And you're supporting an independent publisher, which is kind of cool. So go buy it at Smashwords. Go buy the paperback copy at Amazon. And uh, I think it's the best preview on the market, and I think you'll be happy you bought it. All right, man. Proud of you. We'll talk next week. Have your list ready, okay? I will have my list ready. I will, uh, I- I'm going to send it to you beforehand <laughs> just to make sure that I don't have any big errors like Shannon Kelly or Mark Murdoch. <laughs> right. Well, they better be on there. That'd be an error if they're not. All right. <laughs> All right, my brother. Have a good day. See you.